You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hello, people. How are you doing? It's 8 o'clock. 8 one actually. Um, and you're listening to Matt Phillips on the Sports Therapy Association podcast, recorded live every Tuesday on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. If you're listening to the podcast, then uh, thank you very much. Um, I'll thank you even more if you leave a little rating, if you enjoy what you hear, because it makes all the difference in helping the episode appear high on Google when people do searches, which helps a good word to get out there. Um, but you have always got the option, if you want to ask our guests questions directly and you want to come and network with other therapists, um, then you can just simply go along to, the, like I say, the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel at 8 o'clock on every Tuesday, every Tuesday for the last 114 weeks now. Um, feels like a month, no longer than that. Um, so I'm just going to talk now whilst I wait to make sure that people are coming in the room. When you do come in the room, then make sure you say hi. I can bring your comments up onto the screen. So if you want to put yourself a nice logo and let the world, because we're talking about the world for the audience here, let the world see your clinic logo, then that's great as well. For example, people have started coming in first through the door. Nikki Mansfield. Hey, Nikki, how are you doing? Thanks for joining us again. Nikki Mansfield, we often open up, this is how we roll on the STA, there's often apologies for people who didn't make it, maybe out of one out of 100 episodes. So Nikki Mansfield is saying, it says on the screen here, evening all, sorry I've missed a few, back now for my first one as an actual member. Nikki, thank you very much, your apology is accepted and great news, you've actually joined up, it's fantastic. Um, you don't have to be a member of the STA to come along here, obviously, but if you're interested in, in joining um, uh, a, uh, what should we call it, an organisation? No, an association, much better word, um, which will help you provide you with information, um, which isn't going to steal all your money. It's very, it's a non-profit organisation, so it's the cheapest you'll find anywhere. And what you get for your money is undoubtedly the best in the world, probably. Um, Thomas Roth is in the house now as well. Hey, Thomas, how are you doing? Nice to see you back here again. Thanks for joining last week. Um, Thomas asked last week and rather shocked Angela Jackson last week, how come this stuff is free? It's awesome. And she was like, is he taking the mic or something? So thanks for that comment, Thomas. I explained that it was just your sense of humour and it was actually a compliment that you felt that the quantity and quality we put out on this channel should be charged for. It'll never be. It's unlikely to be charged for. Um, we'll see how it goes. But anyway, Becky Cowell's in the house as well. So brilliant. So if you do want to join us live, it's a great place to network. Um, it's a lovely group to come and join us. And like I say, Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel is free. Just come along um, and, and have a listen and mix with the others here. So where are we? Um, uh, our month's focus on the knee continues. It's all about the knee this month. It's what we've been kind of doing. Last month was all about the foot and ankle. And we had some great guests on for that. I think that was four or five episodes. And they're all available on YouTube. Um, this is a little reminder of where you can see our stuff, just if people are joining us for the first time. So you can see our stuff on YouTube. Let's put that on big so you can see it. Also on YouTube, what you get is you get a, a little link to what's up and coming. So I did this earlier on this morning. You can see there's an upcoming notify me button for tonight's um, episode 114 with Claire Robertson. So that's a nice way of setting yourself a reminder. I'll get emails sometimes going, Matt, can we have a reminder? Because, you know, life's busy. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Go to YouTube, click on that button, and you'll get like a 10-minute warning or something. So that's cool if you want to watch the video. Of course, if you want to listen to it instead, then you've got all these options. You can either go to the Sports Therapy Association webpage, which is thesta.co.uk. And on there, under the podcast link, you'll see listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts 
all the links you could potentially need are there and also you'll see all the show notes so when we say i'll put that in the links i'll do that we actually do it in contrast to other podcasts you can find all the stuff which angie for example last week talked about um in there with links to websites and stuff like that of course also you can just go straight away to your preferred podcast player app on an iphone you probably got this kind of innate little app there which you just click and that's fine you can listen to it um talking of uh angie jackson that was our guest last week um fantastic episode really um amazing way of opening up um the knee um sounds horrible now just open it up metaphorically speaking but it was a great episode and we focused um especially on the adolescent knee um which as angela explained um is just because you're going to look after mommy or daddy's knee doesn't mean you can automatically uh, get started with the kid's knee is a lot of differences and angela did a great job thank you angela if you're listening back to this um, on explaining some of the differences we had topics for example to, such as hypermobility and valgus angle how to engage younger athletes so they actually comply with the exercises you've given that was a great um uh five ten minutes in there um we dipped into how commonly successful is surgical intervention something which we're going to focus on next week with my special guest jonathan bell that's his bag surgery on knees it's going to be a fantastic episode i'm really looking forward to that for more reasons than i realized when i started this um how accurate screening protocols patellofemoral pain we dipped into but angela was like of course there'll be more of that next week with um claire um, we looked at Oscar Schlatter's disease because that's often a word I suggested that therapy is it's presented on courses because it's just one of those words which makes you sound very professional. If you can stand there and go, mm, yes, well, this is obviously Oscar Schlatter's disease, then you're kind of like it, it makes you feel special. Trouble is, as as Angela explained, it's not always that. Um, and if it's something else, you may well want to um, deal with it differently. And, uh, and also the evidence has changed. So there's loads of stuff on there. Uh, patella alta we talked about uh, asymptomatic versus symptomatic huge amounts of information it was a great episode and if you want to listen to it then check out your podcast if you want to watch it then uh, go to youtube simple as that and it doesn't stop there because in part two we've got an equally huge name when it comes to knee education we've got the one and only claire robertson who i should clear up is not actually i should clear this up because i believe it for a while her name's not actually claire patella that would be an incredible one and it's um, a lot of people, I think most people start off thinking that her name is Claire Patella and how ironic that she fell into looking after knees. We'll talk about that in a second, but it's her name's not Claire Patella. But if you want to find her on social media, it's brilliant. It's just at Claire Patella, whether that's Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. I haven't checked TikTok or anything like that yet, but Claire Patella. And we're going to be talking about patellofemoral pain and fat pad syndrome, which is something which is so common as we'll look into in clinics. I'm sure a lot of you, if you work with people who come with knee pain, you come across this. But also one of the areas which, as I'm sure Claire will go into, can be dealt with wrong, even if you follow what's supposed to be the evidence and stuff like that. So it's going to be a great hour. Um, so I think I've got all my housekeeping done. As always, if you've got any questions and just type them in, if you've joined us live, we'll bring it up on screen. I've given Claire permission to cut in if she sees something more interesting than what I'm saying to bring up. And and we'll, we, we love answering your questions. That's why we thank you for joining us live. So I think we're done. I think I've left her down there long enough. So um, sit back, get your notepad and pen out, Becky. There's going to be some great information in this one. And I'll bring up Claire Robertson. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey, Claire, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for your patience. Um, oh, that's all right. It's... Um, 
it's, it seems to get longer and longer. But last week was it was just a fascinating the area of the knee and the feedback was great. I'm sure you're a fan of the knee I'm, from your social media posts. I can tell there's a little bit of well, a lot of geek in there. But it... well, I'll give you a great, great snippet now. I worked out recently. I've just gone past my ten thousandth knee patient. Well, there you go, people. What more do you need? And now, thank you for joining us. I think that just sums it all up. <laughs> How have you been counting that? Is it a little notepad with fours and then across through it? Or? So, well, ah, I noticed right. through the records, you know, I thought, Well, congratulations oh, on what you say to that. It's amazing. <laughs> that's, that's quite a few years. And actually, that's interesting because I was trying to work out, just to give people an idea of your career, I was trying to work out when I first came across mm-hmm. your name. And it was one of those names where I think, well, I've always kind of known about it. I've always kind of followed you for knees, just the same as I followed Paul England for pain or Greg Lehman for kind of rocking the boat or all these sort of names and Mosley and Butler. And I'll put you in that crowd because that's where you are. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But you have, you have, I mean, you don't only do research, you're very much hands on at Wimbledon clinics, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But your research does go back. I did actually. Let's have a little look. I looked. I thought, when was the it first paper? Really I think old now. There's always a bit of that on this show, I'm afraid. But don't worry. Like, you, 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 you can't look as old as this is going to make you feel. So there you go. You don't. Let's bring it up. So this was the first paper I think I found. Let's yeah. just put it on big screen so people can oh, see if yeah. you're watching YouTube. So this took us all the way back to 2006. It was. Yeah, and I was interested as well because Jonathan Bell, who's our guest next week, who I, I think you know from our conversation up here, was a co-author on that. And now you work with him at Wimbledon, don't you? Yes. And I probably should also let you know he's my husband. <laughs> I didn't know that, people. I really didn't know that. Um, so, yeah, that's my research. Uh, yeah, your husband. So you get to see each other quite a lot then, papers and work. Yeah. And you must have a very successful relationship. Yeah. Yeah, knees, knees, and more knees. <laughs> That's what it is. Have things in common. Have things in common. <laughs> the knee. So yeah, does it? Does it? I like to ask people who've got that extensive career. I mean, there's lots of papers since that. But when you think back to 2006, um, does it feel that long ago, or has it just been kind of a journey? Well, Times a funny thing, but I think there's an interesting thing to highlight about this first paper, and that's that I never thought I would go into research ever, and this was my MSc thesis and I chose this topic of looking at knee pain after hip replacement because I'd just seen it with patients and it interested me and then as part of my master's I was dreading the dissertation and then thought okay well I'll do this because I'm interested in this and then actually I really enjoyed it and thought I really like answering real life questions and then that was the start of my research career which was totally unexpected for me and my driver for all my research ever since has been and ongoing is what's useful to know what do we want to know as clinicians what are the questions that need answering not some kind of dry thing in the lab that doesn't relate to patients which is why I would never stop my clinical practice because it drives me to do my research and it drives me to teach as well that's fascinating and it's a common theme it seems with some of the people we have on here i'm thinking offhand of someone like um dr claire minchell another person who very much the goal is to link the research she's done with actually what goes on in the clinic because often there's a bit of a divide people don't talk so it's been a common theme of people who are great educators like yourself where they've had the feet dipped into both it's funny to think you never even wanted to go in there because 
you know, you, no, you I was really scared of research. I was like, oh, gosh. And then, and then it was interesting because I did quantitative research for years. So numbers, you know, measuring with numbers and putting it into clever software packages. And then actually, I decided not that long ago to explore crepitus, which I know you, we're going to talk about. So noise from the knee. And I had to do that qualitatively. Oh, look at this. Look at this. Just as if by magic. Let's just bring that up full screen for people to have a little look. So, yeah, there's a couple, wasn't there? That was 2010. That was the, that was, that was the was editorial. That the second one? Hold so on. So that was the first back. one. Oh, there we go. That one there, this yeah. This was the one I had the grant for. And yeah. Um, because it was pr- basically a completely unresearched area, I thought, well, I have to do this qualitatively. I have to explore it. And then that was really scary. I was like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm used to numbers. And now I've got to just kind of interview people and somehow make sense of it. But again, I really enjoyed it and now want to do more qualitative research because I think it gives us a really rich understanding that you don't necessarily get from quantitative research. That's um. For people who didn't see the name, if you listen to the podcast, and I've got to remember that you can't see the screenshots I'm putting up there. But this was uh, 2017 April. People's beliefs about the meaning of crepitus and patellofemoral pain and the impact of these beliefs on their behavior, a qualitative study. Um, Really cool. I mean, it's so nice. Obviously, now everyone's talking about the importance of beliefs and expectations and contextual effects and all that sort of stuff and how evidence based is what that is one of the pillars if you like of the three kind of stool legs is about client expectation but i saw also i can't remember where it was and i've always put this with you but um i saw something which identified with which was where you were commenting on um do you get clients with crepitus do you kind of just say oh it doesn't mean anything don't worry about it and there was kind of implication of maybe you think you're doing well by you've learned oh no don't make a big deal of crepitus it's just air escaping don't let the client worry about it but you if you go over the top and i think you use the word like you're making it feel like frivolous and that, like it's... yeah flippant and that really came out and i remember one of my participants got really agitated when i interviewed her and she said I've told my GP, I've told my orthopedic consultant, I've told my physiotherapist, and they all just go, oh, don't worry about it, it doesn't matter. And she said, and I remember it so clearly, she said, it might not matter to them, but it matters to me. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting, because yeah, we can on the one hand be trying to sort of de-escalate it and say, look, you know, it's, it's not important, but how we say that is so important. And if it's important to them, then we need to take time. And I think as sports therapists, as physiotherapists, we like to do, don't we? We like to touch, we like to move, tape, whatever. And I think sometimes we have to kind of go, I just need to spend five minutes talking about this and exploring this. And I had one patient who was really hung up about his crepitus. I spent loads of time talking about it. And then I, and then, um, he didn't come back for follow-up so I phoned him said I just wanted to check everything was okay and and he said do you know what after our conversation I just thought oh I'll just I'll just get on with it and he said do you know what I'm fine and it was just really that conversation been really empowering for him um but it is important to explain to patients what it is and maybe would that be useful if I sort of go through that now briefly oh for sure I think it's amazing I think it's really important patients want to make sense of it I think that's the thing so there are various different noises so we can get the isolated pops and that's like when you crack your knuckles and that's air popping 
and then we can get a clunk from the knee sometimes and if it's from the patellofemoral joint the front of the knee that's generally the patella sort of clunking into position and generally often they feel can feel better when that's happened but the one that really kind of winds the patients up probably the most is the fine grating kind of noise that you often get when they crouch or go up the stairs and actually it was really interesting when I did my research because I had to kind of read there was nothing on it so I had to kind of go off on all these tangents reading different things and there's a thing called slipstick phenomena which is a phrase that comes from engineering and it basically just means the noise that comes about when fluid moves through an uneven surface so if we take the premise that in adulthood it's normal to have some irregularity in your cartilage then it's as the, as the joint fluid not swelling joint fluid that's normally there and should be there moves through that it's making some noise and what and often the patients have this belief that actually their knees worn away they've lost cartilage so what I say to them is look if I have a really thick carpet and I pour some water on it and I go like that I'll get a kind of noise and I say to them that thick carpet presents your nice thick cartilage that's there in your knee reinforcement of healthy joints and that fluid is just the friction on the very surface of the irregular surface and that is fine and I think you know I've certainly found my patients going through that is a really useful thing Otherwise, you know, they might be stronger, they might even have less pain, but then you might think, well, I've done a great job with this patient, and then they leave and they still avoid the stairs because the knee is noisy on the stairs and they think, oh, well, that's, that's damage or that's harm. So we need to, and I had try and have this conversation early, and I just try and say to them, look, don't lump together pain and noise. So pain is the abnormality and, and functional loss they're the things we need to target. The, the noise may persist and that's okay. So I try and get that separation of the concepts right from the outset with the patients. I think that's great. There's so much wrapped up in there with regards to the language you use, not swinging the mm. pendulum too far the other way, because that's the danger, isn't it? With a good therapist has got a thirst for knowledge and they do, like I say, they read like, oh, don't worry about creaking. If there's no pain, then it's not a big deal. Don't get fixated by it. And then they go too far the other way and they'd say to the patient, oh, it's nothing to worry about. Don't worry. And like you say, that could have a, a negative effect. So and it's one question, actually, that is, I find hugely helpful. If they mention crepitus, I literally just say, what do you think it means? Mm. And it's really interesting because a lot of the time they'll say, well, of course, I've got arthritis or it means my knee's wearing out or it means I need to be really careful. OK, there's your cue. There's some abnormal beliefs that you need to address whereas if they say oh I don't know what it means I don't it doesn't bother me I just you know whatever then fine don't spend lots of time on it yeah that's great brilliant right that's it everyone in the live lounge now if you're at home on the podcast you should have your notepad open because that's just set the scene now hasn't it there's just oh, clinical gold is about to pour forth uh, every time um claire opens the mouth so yeah get ready for more we're not even talking about pfp or telephone pain yet that's crepitus <laughs> but really nice yeah i love that really cool um a few people out that have joined us i think we had uh we got stars in here we got liz bailey physios taking time off from uh, the lyceum theater <laughs> hi, hi, hi claire <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks for joining us again, Liz. Um, uh, Thomas um, is, we've already said hi to Thomas. Yeah, other people, Ivan Ward. Again, sorry, isn't that lovely? How many other podcasts have you been on where people apologize for being late? It's a great crowd. You guys rock. Um, don't worry, Ivan. It's just lovely to see you here, mate. Don't worry. Um, and other people coming as well. Glenn Murphy's here. So wonderful. Keep those questions coming in, people. Becky Carroll has just made a comment um, saying, I'm used to hide and seek with my kids. My pats give me away every time. I think that word is kind of like creaks or clicks. What could pats be? Some noise you make, Becky, isn't it, when you bend down? Is it? My pat, my parts. Maybe my parts. I don't know. You can come back with that, Becky. Tell us more about your parts, Becky, if you want. I'm sure you you will. Um, but yeah, so questions. Right. We could stay on Crepitus Rages. There's so much on there. But uh, tonight was advertised as Telephone with Pain uh, mm. with a surprise. Not surprise, <clears throat> but also a link with um, Fat Pad Syndrome as well. So, um. You've got a course, haven't you? I just want people listening to this. Mm-hmm. You've run a course for quite a long time, and there's an online version, eight and a half hours, I believe, on your website. Um, which is that just ongoing? People can sign in, it gets updated, you can start whenever you want to, or is it particular? Yeah, times absolutely. When, yeah, yeah, the online, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's also just a one off, one hour lectures. So, whatever floats your boat, really. So, clairepatella.com again, very simple, Claire Patella. Oh, simple, but that's if you realise that the name is C-L-A-I-R-E, which I just assume now because most of my players are like that. But, yeah, C-L-A-I-R-E, uh, patella.com. Um, and there's so much more in there as well, which I'm sure we'll come to in a second. So I want to kind of focus on of, um, on your course because um, it's interesting how you divide it up. And I love looking at course descriptions because it kind of shows you kind of weigh it. Um, but first of all, I was interested in, in the description. It says, I'm quoting here. The telephone pain is the most prevalent knee complaint we see in clinical practice. Although very common, a cookie cutter that is often used will not lead to optimal treatment outcomes, which I thought was quite nice because um, it's suggesting that um, what you're taught on some courses of how to deal with this might not be right. Um, and you're going to kind of look at bigger picture. I'm interested in two things. One, why is it that there's a cookie cutter approach um, if it's not all that clear cut? Um, and to, yeah, why is it that it's not clear cut? What's the deal? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, but well, they're interlinked, those answers, aren't they? So mm. telephone pain is this huge umbrella term. So we could have everything from a 13-year-old doing, who's just grown loads, doing lots of sport, to um, an obese 25-year-old. We could have a young um, mum who's just had a baby, with patellofemoral pain, I could have an ultramarathon runner. They've all got patellofemoral pain. You're not going to tell me I'm going to treat the, you know, obese, hypermobile patient the same as the ultramarathon runner. You know, and and therefore we we can't. We're doing this patients a, a disservice if we do that. But you know, we're all busy in clinical practice, and I think it's very easy to think well. I'll give a few stretches, maybe a few strengthening things, perhaps pop an orthotic in their shoe. Um, you know, something will work, maybe tape them up, something will work. But the problem is with that, even if you even if theoretically something in there is gonna help, who is gonna do all these exercises? Like we know from the literature on adherence that if you give people more than three exercises, the chance of them doing it plummets. So if you want to cover all bases, that's a problem as far as I'm concerned. And it also doesn't get good buy-in from the patients. And my whole practice pretty much is second opinions. And I always say to them, so most of the patients have had failed physio. And I say to them, 
what did you do? And I'm not looking for, oh, well, you know, in a range gluteus medius. I'm looking for, yeah, I was getting muscles up around my bum stronger or I was stretching my calf. I'm looking for something like that. And very often the patients will say exercises. And I say, yeah, but what was the gist of the exercises? Oh, I don't know. I was just told to do some exercises. I'm like, well, you know, where's the buy-in there? Where's the understanding that we're getting you strong up here so that you can be more stable or we're stretching you out in your calf so that you can run without pronating or you know where is the buy-in and the understanding and if you only give give say two exercises out you can then really make sure their form is good their technique is good they know how many reps how many sets how often what it should feel like and you know go away and do what you want them to do rather than a sheet of random exercises where perhaps only one out of ten might be relevant <laughs> you've got me going now i'm on my hobby horse no, that's fine it's great i was just waiting for an opportunity i wanted to let you finish that you obviously needed to get it off this actually as far as sports therapists go and sports muscle therapists between you and me and anyone who's listening, that's kind of one of the advantages, I think, for people in sports massage, particularly in the private practice, because NHS physios have got a reputation. Obviously, there's good and bad in every single career. But when it's a 50 minute slot. It's just going to be a, a photocopy of exercises, isn't it, which they've given out for five years and do then right? see you later on because yeah. that person's probably getting paid. It's probably an insurance thing. And it's like that's a lot of sports therapists who have got that hour book. They've just got more time to go into, yeah, them, you know, yeah. so it's great. We've got the time to listen. Mm. You know, so my physical assessment won't be the same on all these patients at all. So I use my subjectives and my history taking to think, okay, I need to prioritize this. Or that. So let me give you some examples, which mm. are hopefully really useful clinical nuggets for people. So I ask every patient, do you have pain when you're sat still? Cinema sign, cinema go sign. Because some of the patients, this is their number one problem. Sitting on a train or a plane, long car journey is a nightmare. So let's think about it. When we're sat still, strength is irrelevant. Foot position, foot biomechanics, negligible. Shock attenuation, irrelevant. Trunk, irrelevant, really. So what's really relevant in that situation when your knee is flexed at 90 is muscle length so, and, and tone. So then I might say to them, what happens when you cross your legs? And they're like, oh, if they say, oh, that's terrible, that's even worse. Okay, well, what's what's changed there? So we've crossed the legs and we've tensioned up all those structures down the outside of the thigh. So now when I assess that patient physically, straight to the top of my list is quads length. I'm looking at ITB. You know, those things are going to be much more important in that patient's assessment than, say, Another patient who might, who I ask every patient about footwear, does your pain change in different shoes? And some patients will say, oh, yeah, totally, really different. So then I need to explore, well, is that the shock attenuation? Is it the rubbery sole? Or is it that actually it's the height? So going up into a heel is the problem? Or is it the support around the foot? So we then have an in-depth chat about shoes. And so that's going to then, I'm going to have a much more of a look at the foot and ankle calf complex with that patient. So these questions, so I'm not just using the history to go, oh yeah, this sounds like patellofemoral pain. I'm trying to find some clues as to what are going to be the priorities to look at in that patient. 
Excellent. That's brilliant. And and I notice on the course that the, the first part of the course after look at the anatomy, the patella joint, you go into the subjective and the assessment and that. And it's yeah. and it's lovely to reiterate and hear professionals like yourself and educators um, uh, reminding us how important asking those questions as subjective is. Because there's a temptation to start pushing and prodding and seeing what causes a pain response. And it's like you want to get in there straight away and feel it. And you forget about the person. You just focus in on that knee and you're pushing and prodding. And and Mm. suddenly it's and you've lost all of those beautiful questions. And it gives you that chance also to work out whether there are psychosocial issues. And let's face it, a lot of these patients with patellofemoral pain have had it a while and the duration of symptoms is quite long. And we know that the longer people have pain for, the more likely they are to have anxiety around it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, and Ben Smith's done some lovely work on this, looking at actually when people have patellofemoral pain, it can be really socially isolating because a lot of them get it because something related to their sport. So maybe they're in a, doing, you know, I don't know, suddenly built up their running load a lot, for example. So they don't, and so now they can't go to their running club. So not only can they not run, but they actually lose the social contact from that as well. And, um, you know, we need to understand this side of things. It's so important. So another example I can give you is I ask every patient about sleep are you you know how are you sleeping and if sleep is affected is it because of the knee or anything else because we know that poor sleep really correlates with poor pain processing and likelihood of tipping into chronic pain so let's reel back now loads of the patients with patellofemoral pain develop as i say through poor load management so through sport and poor load management so then there's someone that's used to exercising then they stop it because of their knee. And then they're often perhaps someone that might have exercised in the evening and they're after work, say, and then they can't sleep because they've lost their exercise. So if I'm starting to see that kind of pattern emerge right on the top of their priority list, the treatment plan that I'm giving them is to get in the gym. And if they're really irritable in the knee, it might even be just an upper body and a core program, but it's like, let's get you exercising somehow anyhow and let's try and get those sleep patterns normalized because we need to break that cycle of no exercise poor sleep amazing great stuff yeah i love that get them active so they start Mm. feeling good about themselves get some hope in there um yeah sometimes the exercise yeah brilliant and hope is so important and also you can really use it as a way of messaging to the patient i've listened to you so for example uh, I see quite a lot of racket sports uh, players, so it's tennis, badminton, squash. So if I had someone with a really raging, irritable patellofemoral pain, I might say, okay, let's get you sat on a gym ball doing some core work. So maybe weight-bearing through your other legs, so you work in the core, but let's get you doing some shadowing whilst you're sat on the on the, um, the ball. And actually, the number one reason I'm doing that is to send the message to them, I've listened to you, and I know this is important to you, and I've got an eye on this, and all the way through your rehab, I will have an eye on your long-term goal, rather than here's a sheet of exercises that I gave to the last 50 patients. It's exactly the same, by the way. <laughs> Fantastic. This is great. Um, I hope if you listen to the podcast that you're making taking notes. There's some fantastic information here. Uh, remember, people, feel free to bring some questions in. 
Um, oh, Nikki, let's have a little look here. This goes back to just the uh, cracking. We keep telling our clients that cracking joints is harmless, but couldn't repetitive stretching of the joint capsule actually be damaging, especially for hypermobile bendies? Okay, there's quite a lot in there. Yeah, so I think, um, well, we have two issues there. One is stretching and one is crepitus. And really, we shouldn't be linking those two, I would say. Yeah, it might be that their, their knee happens to crack when they stretch. But I would say, okay, more the issue there is perhaps what you've highlighted, that if you have a hypermobile patient, you need to be mindful of those very end of range um, postures so for example if you thought i need to stretch this person's hamstrings but they have a tendency to go into a lot of knee hyperextension i can still stretch the hamstrings in a little bit of knee flexion maybe 20 degrees of knee flexion they'll have to go further from the hip to achieve that but i can still get that stretch without putting the knee into a vulnerable position so yeah really good point about um stretching and hypermobile Good question, Nikki. Keep them coming. Um, thanks for clearing up, Nikki, as well, that Pats obviously was plural for patella. Patellae. Sorry, I should have guessed that, um, Becky. It's my ignorance. I'm a bloke. That's what you want to hear, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Becky, Becky Carroll actually comes back and says, I've had PFJ issues for at least 25 years. I can echo the huge impact it has on me physically, mentally and socially. I think people go, oh, it's just a bit of mechanical pressure pain. But actually... For someone living with it, if it means that they feel they can't crouch down with their young children or they can't, you know, I mean, Ben Smith's work showed people are changing their career aspirations about it or they're socially isolated because they can't do the sports they want to do or they find it's difficult to go on a long journey. Actually, this is really impactful and we need to listen to that and we need to reassure and we need to try and help give it coping mechanisms. and. Um, that's just as important as any, if not more important than any physical treatment. And of course, you can do the two in tandem. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Okay. So obviously this is all part, if you're interested in this, then it gives you another reason to go to Claire Patella with an AI, clairepatella.com um, and have a look um, at the courses on there. Um, looking down what's in there after the um, assessment and the importance of and the subjective I'm interested as well. This will be interesting to a lot of the sports therapists who are listening or joining us live. You've got a lesson on taping and bracing. Mm. Um, so I'm curious, obviously don't give it all away because people have to do the course, <laughs> everything, but I'm interested in, in what made you put that in. And particularly if it suggests that it's overused sometimes or underused, or maybe is it just used in inappropriate situations with regards to... I, you know what, I think that th th there's no real right and wrong with tape mm -hmm. and bracing. But um, and patients, some patients just do brilliantly with it. Some patients don't get any response and others are worse. But there are certainly, I think, a few sort of things to look out for as to who might might benefit. And perhaps one of the best things that is uh, I do is if someone's got the classic pain as they squat, imagine it's their left knee. I'll get them stood up and I'll get them to put 99% of their weight onto their right. And whilst their weight's on their right leg, I, with my hand, will just push their left kneecap in a bit to medialize it. And then I'll get them to bring their weight back centrally and do that little squat again. Now, if they see a change in their pain, for the better, then 
happy days. That's a really good candidate for stretching. And I know that's very simplistic, but it, it, it's a really good heads up that that patient might well do well with taping. Um, I try and keep the taping really simple because unless you're working in the elite arena where you're seeing people all the time, you know, there's no good them feeling great for a day and then they're going to wait two weeks or whatever to see you again. They need to be able to replicate that. So I get them to video it on their phones so that they've got a, got a record of it so that they go home and they know what they're doing. Um, so I use, so I do use uh, the classics of McConnell medializing, so putting the kneecap inwards. And then the other taping technique I use a lot is fat pad offloading. So if they've got this swollen, very sore area under their kneecap, then you can literally push the kneecap up and tilt it off the fat pad. And yeah, in reality, we might only be getting, you know, a millimeter further up or you know, two degrees on its axis, but it can just sometimes be enough. And they often stand up and go, oh, that's better. And again, like happy days. Mm-hmm. And if someone stands up and whatever you've done taping wise and they say, oh, that's really sore, take it off. You know, it's not about that. And, you know, I, there's been some research on what I call plonk taping, just plonking it on the knee, any old how, and even showing that when you just do that, the sensory motor cortex, the bit of the brain that then fires the muscles, but is more active. So often I think it's just a proprioceptive, it's a sensory effect. So if, for example, their quads are a bit sluggish, not firing maximally, maybe because of pain, the tape often helps to increase that firing and then makes your strength work more effective. So it makes the patient feel more confident because their quads are firing better. So it helps sometimes just create a sort of positive snowball. Mm-hmm. um so definitely at times use taping without a doubt um and then bracing you know years ago we used to be worried there was this sort of theory that if you put someone in a sleeve or a tubey grip that the muscles would get really lazy and actually the, all the recent research that's been done has shown the reverse that people's quads fire better even in a really basic knee sleeve like a tubey grip or a breathable knee sleeve so that can be a useful measure. And then again, if you f- see that they're better with that medial glide, or you have the luxury of imaging, which reports a lateral patellofemoral problem, which is often where it is, the outside of the patellofemoral, there are specialist braces. They're not ridiculously expensive, but soft braces that will push the kneecap inwards. So again, and there's been some lovely work showing that that type of bracing will reduce bone edema, so bone swelling, which is very interlinked with pain in that lateral side of the joint. So some great results with with that as well. Um, So I don't use it on everyone, absolutely not, but probably, I'd say a third of my patients, I might be looking to be exploring the use of table bracing. So regularly, very regularly. Fantastic. I love that point you made about if you if you're really successful and they're not going to see for another two or three weeks, and what's the point of giving something they can't replicate? So that's a really that's a really good point to give them something they can look on their phone and kind of copy it at home. That's great. Yeah. Um, Liz Bailey has summed up actually what I was thinking during that explanation from you. Liz Bailey says, "You know, someone's an expert in their field when they make things sound simple." <laughs> Brilliant <laughs> tips for how the subjective can inform the objective. There you go, Liz. How, oh, so true. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, that's no, some great information there. And, of course, that's all wrapped up in the education as well, because one of the dangers which sometimes we talk about of, of putting tape or brace on someone is they get a little bit addicted to it and they feel that that's what's holding them together. And without that, they're, they're never going to be able to walk again. They're always going to be in pain. So I suppose it's got to get put into a plan, a kind of a rehab ladder. And I will, again, manage their expectation from the start. So mm-hmm. say it's the fat pad off loading i might say look we're gonna have two weeks to really try and break the cycle of inflammation but then mm-hmm. we're gonna look to wean you off it maybe you, you just then have it on those days where you know you're gonna stand a lot or that you know your knee's gonna be potentially more higher risk of playing up um you know and gradually you know get them off it because we don't want people psychologically dependent on these thing on taping or on us either for that matter we want them to be expert at self-management fantastic great stuff um people who got i've got so many questions here so if people who are joining us live if you've got some questions to get them in there i'm trying to keep an eye out um but um yeah if you've got anything you want to ask about only experiences you've had feel free just to share your own experiences because it's really nice to get this chance to hear what's worked for you what hasn't worked um because that's part of 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 moving forwards isn't it hearing what other people mm-hmm. have done and so we've mentioned it a few times now um the fat pad syndrome or hoffer's intrapatella fat pad um your course kind of puts these two together yeah um is that because one kind of can mask the other are they it's because they're often misdiagnosed for each other yeah. it's because the anatomy is so close so i have my faithful knee here i don't there go anywhere without my knee um <laughs> so just to orientate you front of the knee there's the patella and we've got this gap here can you where my fingers are now there and that's where the fat pad sits, the infrapatella fat pad. So it's very close to the patella. So if the patella, uh, if the patella alignment isn't quite right, so that could be the patella is tilting, or it could be the femur, the thigh bone underneath is spinning away from the patella. But either way, if the alignment's not great, one of the first things to get nipped is the fat pad. So we can get a sort of patella femoral problem setting off a fat pad problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two are very, very closely linked. And of course, some of the patients have patellofemoral pain and fat pad pain. But actually, it is really important to understand the difference because they should be treated quite differently. So maybe if I give some of my top tips now mm-hmm. about that. Um, so probably my number one way of differentiating between the two is that the fat pad tends to get pinch the most between 30 degrees of knee bend and zero so when it's sort of just slightly bent and fully straight uh, whereas the rest of the range apart from very end range flexion the rest of the range the fat pad doesn't seem to be bothered by movement so therefore the fat pad patients really dislike standing prolonged standing and walking and those are not things that you would have problems with with someone with typical patellofemoral pain. So patellofemoral pain is a picture of flexion, going up and down the stairs, getting out of a chair, squatting. It's crouching, kneeling, it's flexion activities. And patellofemoral patients tend to dislike going up into a heel, whereas the fat pad patients hate really flat shoes or barefoot because their knee goes out a little bit straighter. Mm-hmm. So look out for those. So I ask every patient about walking and I say, if they say, yeah, I do have pain walking, I then dig a bit deeper and I say, okay, is that on the flat 
or is it on a hill? And they'll, if they're a telephone, they'll say, oh, no, not on the flat. The flat's fine. It's when I go downhill. And if they say, oh, yeah, walking on the flat, you know, within a few minutes, it's really sore. I'm thinking this patient primarily has a fat pad problem. Now, fat pad problem is one of inflammation. It's a really, really inflammatory problem. And you cannot push through it. And if you try, you will just make them loads worse. You have to respect the pain and not push into it and not do any movements that aggravate them. Whereas if it's patellofemoral pain, it's a mechanical load pressure problem. So as long as we're not inducing so much pain that we either cause quads inhibition or we scare the patient off, we can work into a bit of pain with patellofemoral pain. So it's therefore really interesting and important to think about that difference because it really does change your management i think whether you're thinking inflammation and irritability fat pad extension or okay mechanical load inflection patellofemoral pain excellent brilliant advice and and it just yeah adds another dimension to how you're assessing this person and not just does it hurt when you walk but and you, I suppose you can try it out in clinic as well. Look at what point of the gate they're actually kind of complaining. Is it extension or when it's more flexed? Yeah. Great information. Really good. Um, and like you say, so with the fat pad syndrome, then you're looking at potentially more traditional anti-inflammatory treatment, especially when it's kind of quite yeah. sensitive. Well, seriously, um, oral anti-inflammatories like mm-hmm. that sort of thing don't seem to help. Now, don't ask me why, because <laughs> I don't why? know. <laughs> but they don't and steroid injection i would say out of 100 patients 60 will see no change 20 might be better but 20 are much worse from just having had a needle stuck in the structure so i really don't like steroid either with this group um so what do i go what do i use taping is absolutely i have three real go-to measures i'm giving away all my secrets aren't i <laughs> that's a long course eight and a half hours it's still gonna be worth very much worth uh, yeah, so um taping is transformational for some patients because i think it just moves the patella up and off and the fat pad isn't impinged it breaks the cycle because the problem is the fat pad gets bigger because it's swollen so it impinges even more so it gets even more swollen and they just go round and round and round and round in this awful cycle. So moving the, the patella in just a tiny bit can be so effective. So that's my first go-to measure. Shoes, at total temporary ban on barefoot or flats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get them into the perfect shoe for a fat pad problem is something like an Asics running shoe where you've got a bit of a heel drop. So you've got that sole that's a bit wider at the back. It just puts their foot and ankle and hence their knee into the optimum position and then my last thing is ice massage and in fact I'm this is my completely sad life I've actually invented something before this. I've seen this mm. yes my ice it away so it's basically an easy way to apply ice massage and mm. um, but they can do it with an ice cube as well onto oiled skin um, for a couple of minutes and it's much more effective than an ice pack. And so I'm thinking if we can get two weeks of tape, shoe, you know, really good shoe management, ice massage several times a day, mm. and even minimize the standing and walking as, as life permits. And I'm very careful to say, it's not because it's harming you long-term, and this is actually really important. 
So it's not because it's harming you. It's not. But we're trying to settle this knee. Mm. So why are we going to do things that really wind it up? That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So do take time to clarify that. And again, when I'm talking to patients, my patellofemoral patients, and I'm giving them perhaps some strength work, I might say to them, you know, don't work into more than a three or four out of ten. I'm not worried about you harming yourself, but it's going to switch off your quads and then you won't get stronger. Mm -hmm. So make sure that people don't take the wrong messages from, you know, from, from your instructions. Mm. Be clear. Great point. And with that education, then it kind of makes sense. And this kind of is going to kind of move around out how we started the conversation. So there's going to potentially be some activity modification. If there's things they like doing, which cause a full extension of the knee, then you've got to back off from that. But yeah. like we said at the beginning, if they're quite an active person, they love their long walks or they have to walk the dog then you've got to find an alternative, haven't you? They're going to have to yeah. change their lifestyle a bit. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. They're not going to do it. Yeah, and, you know, it, it really explore it. So a lot of the patients are worse as the day goes on because the fat pad tends to swell up. So I'm like, okay, well, actually, you're better in the morning. Let's get that dog walking. Can we get the dog walking before work? Could we do it that way around? Um, and people always say to me, do you let your patellofemoral patients run? I'm like, well... There's running, running and running, you know, mm. we've got, so I might not, I might say no running downhill, please, just whilst mm. we're sorting this out. I might, if I'm worried that they haven't got very good control around the pelvis and there's too much of this going on, I might say, let's just leave the speed work for now because that encourages that more. Um, uh, we might play around with the fact that I'm not going to let you run every day. Let's get that, drop that down to alternate days. Mm -hmm. like, um, it's very unusual. I would say no running. Mm -hmm. yeah no amazing information great information um question here from becky it's always a good one from becky let's have a little look don't even have to check it first with becky how do you address patients with instability of the patella rather than purely pain instability as in a hypermobile patella rather than dislocation yeah so first of all that brings out a really useful point for everyone to realize is that you can have um instability without dislocation so like everything it's on a spectrum so we've got totally stable knee and then we might have an instability problem where the patella is sliding and shearing around it might sublux which means half in half out and then of course yeah the worst ones will be dislocating but there's a whole group and in fact some patients will not even realize they're unstable because they'll just come in and say my knee hurts but actually when you look at it you think oh hang on but this kneecap is actually really mobile and they're not stabilizing well. So the pain is because of instability that they just haven't realized. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to then look at why is the instability there? So there are certain things we can address with um, therapy and there are certain things we can't, but we need to still know about. So hypermobility. So if someone's hypermobile, then we want to be looking at neuromuscular control, strength and control and aware, proprioceptive awareness. But if they are someone that's structurally, um, so they might have a shallow trochlis, the groove under the patello is shallow, then they are morphologically, so structurally vulnerable to that instability. But doesn't mean they are going to always be unstable. It, and it's very interesting. I get quite a lot of patients, and COVID was fascinating for this, gym goers who had always gone to the gym all their life, never realised they had an instability problem because they never had pain. Then they stop going to the gym because the gym shut, they weaken, and then the knee plays up. Came and, you came and see me, and I was like, oh, hang on, we've got an instability problem. 
why is this reared its head now? Because your strength has dipped. So without even realizing, they've always actually self-managed their in uh, their instability through being strong. Mm-hmm. So there are, um, they, look, they can be a really tricky group. And of course, if people have severe instability, they can then become very fear avoidant very fearful of it and of course guess what then people tend to do is then weaken mm-hmm. avoid things and then that feeds into that cycle of lack of dynamic stability as well so a challenging group but not not impossible great advice becky feel free to come back with a follow-up to that if you fancy um nikki here is uh, going back to the barefoot flat with regards to fat pad syndrome um so that's fascinating about barefoot fat being harmful in fat pad cases making that distinction is really going to help me to be more specific in practice thank you there <laughs> you go nikki sta membership great. paying off already there you go <laughs> it's great to know wonderful and um, where are you oh we're 853 already um let's just go back to my note we've covered the in your in your course as well and remember, people, just go to Claire with an A-I-R-E, um, ClarePatella.com, um, and you'll see the course there. Um, yeah, you have a lesson in psychological considerations, which we've talked about quite a lot. It's great mm-hmm. to see there's a, a lesson on that as well. Um, do, 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 do. I think I've covered everything I had on there. Um, Perhaps one thing that just thinking of what, you know, what what often is really useful for people to know, a few sort of nuggets over quads training. There's often a dilemma with this group because they're often really sore, but, you know, they need to get strong. Mm. So it's kind of like, "Mm, how do I I get around that one? Because they need more, they need better quads, but it's really hurting them. But there are some tricks and perhaps, again, I can sell all my... (laughs) secrets to you now um but there's some really interesting work that shows us quite a lot about patella pressure at different angles so if we take closed chains so just to clarify i'm talking about when the foot is fixed either on the floor or say on a leg press plate what we know is from zero to 50 degrees of knee bend the, yes the pressure goes up but not rapidly but once we go beyond 50 degrees and towards 90, the graph sort of goes like that. So what I often say to my patients is, again, people go, do you let your patient squat? And I'm like, oh, well, the squatting and the squatting. <laughs> there you go. So let's take the humble squat. Well, I might get them to just go to 50 degrees, but I'll do it with a bar on, mm. quite heavy, and I'll get them to do some long hot isometric holds. So I can still induce fatigue, but they're not banging up and down into those much higher pressures. So really thinking about angles and you can modify a Bulgarian split squat, a lunge, whatever it is, you just, just think, okay, just go shallow, just stop at 50 degrees if they're irritable, but load them up with weight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a, that's a top tip. Now, open chain, interestingly, the graph is the opposite. So if you sat someone on, on a leg extension machine, between 90 and 45 degrees, the pressure goes up, but not too much. But between 45 degrees, so there to there, fully straight, it rockets again. Mm-hmm. So guess what I'll do on the leg extension? I might say, yeah, we can do that, but let's just do between 90 and 45. Okay, let's mm-hmm. not just go all the way up and shear onto that patella. So angles are really useful to think about. Um, if I'm really struggling to do meaningful strength work, I might look at blood flow restriction training. I might look at um, 
can I fatigue them on something like the cross trainer doing hard intervals because the cross trainer we don't have any impact we've got not too much knee flexion so you know don't you've got to be creative but just using a little bit of some of these this knowledge about angles I think can be really really helpful um and muscle stimulators as well I mean some of my research has shown that but better muscle architecture change using um, closed chain exercise in conjunction with a muscle stim as opposed to closed chain on its own without the stim. So using muscle stims as well, but not not passively, not sort of sat there watching the telly with the stim on. <laughs> That's great. I love the variety of how to use the equipment you've got. Really useful if you know people are going to gyms. And again, not taking the exercise away. You're not removing it completely, just tweaking it. Notice things about exercise. It's just how you do it when you do it. Black and white. You can run or you can't. You can squat or you can't. Well, hang on, let's look at that middle ground. And then it also the patient doesn't feel so, oh, well, now I'm not allowed to go to the gym and I'm not allowed to run. And, you know, and they just feel like it's removing them further and further from where they want to be. And then I say to them, look, if this is a spectrum, you're here and you want to be here, we're going to break that down into 100 steps and we're just going to nudge you along that line and each change will be small so it won't be daunting, it won't feel unfamiliar, but actually you'll look back and go, wow, look how far I've come. And along the way, you won't have had any big shocks or change to to your load. Excellent stuff. I was waiting for someone to mention the VMO. You've had quite a few studies regard with the VMO and that, haven't you? And Becky's coming yeah. here. I wasn't going to mention it because I thought it might open up a whole other level. But okay, so yeah, females often demonise as being weak. Is there much research here? So okay, I've done a lot of research on mm. this and um, published research. So, but we've changed tack. We haven't looked at um, EMG and firing which there was loads of research around 20 years ago that quite frankly was a bit inconclusive. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I took angle of penation, so fibre angle, which is a very established, understood concept within mm-hmm. muscle training, you know, and physiology. And we looked at what happened to that fibre angle of the VMO as it was trained up, because we found that sedentary people had a VMO that was much more, um vertical so about 40 degrees to the femur and people that were um sporty it was down at around 70 degrees so you can see if you're down at 70 degrees it's going to be more medializing so i got really excited when we found this i was like right now i need to know whether we can take people who are sedentary who have a vertical fiber and strengthen them up through our classic you know overload principles so quads exercises to fatigue three times a week can we change that architecture and sure enough we can so this is super exciting and I know I'm really biased but it shows that we are physiologically changing their anatomy and giving them a VMO that is a medial a better medial stabilizer Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to be as silly as to suggest I'm recruiting it in isolation Mm. or preferentially over the VL that's kind of been left behind we're just saying Mm -hmm. if we do quads training in someone with a poor muscle bulk then and we hypertrophy that muscle we will give them a more architecturally favorable VMO best way I've heard the VMO being talked about for a long time that's excellent (laughs) and it's really good as well because I think it's a classic example as if people don't look at the dates timestamps, and things then they can do some search on VMO and you will find it being demonized but 
as you've so eloquently explained, that was to do with research from up to 20 years ago and claims made regarding that. But so you can't just, it's never just one big pot of right or wrong, is it? It's always looking at what research you're talking about. If anyone's really interested in that, all my um, references are on my website and Mm. then you can click on them and it will take you through to links to the papers. So yeah, you want to get really keen. <laughs> oh, it's well worth visiting. I mean, that yeah, it's true. It's really nicely laid out. You go to carepatella.com and you can click on the about. And at the bottom, I think it is, there's all links to all of the papers and everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really nicely and laid the out. The other thing perhaps to flag up is that if people are interested in the field, I do a thing called Pick the Bunch, which is free, which is every three months I send out what I think are the most useful three references from the last three months to know about and that's very much for people working in the field not nerdy you know academic stuff just what's going to change your practice Um, and I try and choose open access papers as well great um so it's nine o'clock the course the course I know that as well you you look late not me it's amazing um so you can get to the course via clairepatella.com um, but it's in yeah. conjunction with physio tutors, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That um, that will take you through to physio tutors. I'll yeah. bring it up here so you know if you're on the right page. If you listen to the podcast, there's just a screenshot here of what will happen when you click on the link and you go through to the physio tutors uh, page. Um, and there's details there on the course and the whole contents and everything. There's loads of information there to help you decide whether it'd be good for you particularly. Remember, we're not saying CPD is for everybody. There's no such thing as CPD, which will suit everybody. It depends on your client base and your current information and where you are and all sorts of things. But I'm always interested to know whether for the course, um, Claire, is there a certain level of knowledge that one would need to have in order to benefit from it or no I mean I try you know I try and sort of walk people through it so mm-hmm. um I mean I think you know you've got to have obviously an, an interest in the knee but you're going to to to, to be looking at it mm-hmm. um I mean it's definitely applicable for sports therapists mm-hmm. uh obviously physios and I and I have had sports massage therapists on my course as well mm-hmm. um and you know I'm always open to an email if someone's like you know can I just ask something that's mm. fine. It's no problem. Or ask me on Twitter as well. You know, whatever's helpful. I I very much feel I'm there to help people because um, then it helps, you know, more patients. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, well, you made it clear tonight, as Liz pointed out earlier on, that you've got a great knack of explaining the complex and making it accessible so people can understand. So if that's reflected in the course, then happy days, people. Um, Becky Carroll has said here, amazing episode. Um, fascinating stuff. Thanks, Claire and Matt. Um, thanks, Becky. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, so the online course is there the whole time if people want it. Um, you're doing some face-to-face stuff. You're off to Dubai, of all places, aren't you, in October? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor yeah. you. Um, struggle. <laughs> you're running the course there as well are you i'm running my course and i'm a keynote lecturer on the uh, conference as well fantastic um any plans on any kind of face-to-face interaction in the uk at all uh, well i'm always uh, i haven't got dates for next year yet but i'm if anyone wants to host my course or if they want mm. me to come and uh talk at their practice just to the, the people that work in the practice I, either way you know um whatever is it of interest i'm always yeah always looking for different things to do <laughs> knee related obviously i've just heard mike rice scribbling down i've heard anna maria mazzieri james morgan all these people here who are just dying to host quality cpd 
um, all over the country are now making rapidly making notes. Um, that'd be great, be lovely at chance. Because I mean, online is fantastic, and that's something we learned during COVID as well, isn't it? The power of communication online and that. But it's I, I do love face to face as well. I love face to face as well. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Claire. Um, great you. stuff. I'm looking forward to meeting your fellow next week and just hearing whether he supports it or not. Be very interesting. Um, so, yeah, if you want information um, about the course, like I say, go to Claire Patella, C-L-A-I-R-E, patella.com. If you want to follow Claire on social media, it's very simple. It's just at Claire Patella on whether that's Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Is the one you tend to be more active on, Claire? Or Twitter. Twitter and I, I try not tweet about what I've had for breakfast. You know, I try and keep it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Twitter's pretty good for you. Yeah, I, I'm fully on there. It's, it's uh, great information. Um, and as always, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. Right. What a great hour. Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed that, people, then if you need to listen to it again, it'll be available as a podcast in a couple of days, two or three days, depending on what I'm up to. But it will be there. You can always watch it back on YouTube. Obviously, it's there forever. Um, next week is the final part of our focus on the knee. And we do have um, a special guest consultant, orthopedic knee surgeon, Jonathan Bell. When I asked him to come on the show, I didn't realize he was your husband. So I've asked both of you. You must have a right laugh at my expense. I'm glad, I'm glad that I got One of you said no. <laughs> I'm just glad that you got the pecking order right and I was first. <laughs> oh, that was that was well, obviously. I'm not a fool. I'm married. I know how, how it works. <laughs> no, but I'm really pleased. It'll be really interesting. So it's going to be a great week next week. Um, if you're not familiar with Jonathan Bell, he's super popular. Um, even though he's a surgeon, super popular. Um, you might have seen him on uh, Therapy Live. He was very popular on there. Um, and again, want to follow on social media as well. Really, really um, I'm looking forward to it, educating, entertaining. Um, it's going to be a great, great week. So do join us there. If you've listened to this, you listen to the podcast, it's 8 o'clock, um, GMT plus one, because we're in summer still, um, which is UK time, on YouTube. Um, and that's open to anybody. You don't have to, you don't have to be a sports therapist. You can be a physio, chiral, personal trainer, whatever you like, um, if you feel this will be interesting for you. Um, as always, make sure you're following UK underscore STA on Twitter or Instagram for updates. And if you're interested in joining the STA, um, then simply go to www.thesta.co.uk. But I think as far as that goes, I'll just thank once again, Claire Robson, for being such a fantastic special thank guest. You. Thank you very much. And um, hopefully I shall see some of you. Oh, thank you as well, people who have joined us live. Um, Liz, um, I'm glad you didn't get called in. Um, thanks for joining us. Haha, <laughs> I'm still here, she says. Um, thank you, Lindsay Penn. And yeah, hopefully see some of you next week um, on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. And take care of each other. See you soon. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.